So we're picking up on our series, Walk As Jesus Did. We're in part two, and I want to speak about meet your maker. Not many products get to meet their manufacturer because they're simply not conscious. But human beings are unique in that we carry this awareness. We have a spirit. We have a, a center of being that is aware of who we are. We can reflect. We can even remember. We can go back. And we want to, in the context of learning to walk as Jesus did, to recognize and to be absolutely clear. And we're going to do this for a couple of weeks. That Jesus is powerfully, wonderfully unique. And there's no ways that we're going to land what is transferable about the life of Jesus if we are not completely clear what is unique in his life. And so we're going to take some time today to meet our maker. Because, you know, if you were walking in a street in Nazareth and Jesus came along and he was a 10-year-old boy, you may not know it, but that 10-year-old boy is the one who made you or the agency by which you were made. As incredible as that sounds. Jesus was always God. He became a man. He never lost his divine identity. Nothing in this, in understanding and unlocking what is transferable from the life of Jesus, is going to take away from his uniqueness. In fact, you've got to get so clear about his uniqueness because you're going to rely on his uniqueness to make his life and ministry transferable. Now, I don't want to get too complicated, so let's just dive in. We are supposed to do what Jesus did. We saw that in John chapter 14. His identity is unique. His ministry is transferable. And he did not only seem to be human, he was completely and fully human. And as a human, he lived by, and in fact, the Bible says, he pioneered faith. I don't know what you think about faith. I heard of a nun <clears throat> who, who was working in a community in rural county Cork in Ireland. And uh, she was involved in frail care. And uh, she was driving along and through a village, and she ran out of fuel. Fortunately for her, about, you know, just around the corner and up the road was a service station. And uh, so she looked for a container, and the only container she could find was a bedpan. So she picked up the bedpan and walked around the corner to the service station. And it was getting late at night, so she was rather cautious, but she made her way back to her car and started emptying the contents of the bedpan into her fuel tank. When Patrick and Lyle, having visited the pub, were on their way home, they came around the corner to find the nun emptying the contents of a bedpan into her fuel tank. And Paddy leans over and says to Lyle, Now that's what I call faith. <laughs> I don't know what you think of faith, but I do know what God thinks of it. And today I want to call you to faith, true faith that commits and follows to walk as Jesus did. You know, Jesus has many admirers, still present tense. Even atheists admire him, they, but they just don't follow him. You know, British journalist Matthew Paris uh, describes himself as an avowed atheist. 
uh, and he wrote in a newspaper called The Spectator, I've got such huge respect for Jesus. His life is so radical, so inconvenient. If Jesus had not existed, the church almost certainly could not have invented him. That's an atheist full of admiration for Jesus and clearly not for the church. By the way, I completely agree with just about everything he said. Except respect and admiration is clearly insufficient if you look at what Jesus is calling for. And so today we hear the call to meet our maker. We saw last week that people are prone to mix up three different yet Deeply true and biblical realities about Jesus. And, and they are his unique identity as true God who became fully human. His unique work of atonement, which is the redemption he accomplished. And we're going to remember that this morning as we come to uh, the communion table. And he accomplished that in his humanity. He became our representative in his death. His resurrection, His ascension, and in the sending of the Spirit. This has been known as the work of Christ. Jesus is absolutely unique in that. Yet, what is not unique is His transferable ministry as one fully human who's in submission to God and full of and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And guys, we've just got to get our heads and go, we've got to keep saying all three are true. All three are true. All three are true. For example, the belief that Jesus only seemed to be human because he was so amazing, so we knock out something about his identity, actually destroys both number two and three. Because he can't be our representative. If he only seemed to be human, therefore he couldn't have atoned for us. He couldn't have took your place or mine, taken your place or mine. And of course, if he only seemed to be human, then he's not a realistic model as to how we can repurpose our lives for the kingdom. So this week we explore why recognizing this transferable ministry of Jesus, number three, in no way impinges and should not be allowed to impinge on number one and two. You see, another error that is around today is of reducing the gospel Jesus preached to something that is being popularly called, and it's got various guises and, and that kind of thing. But if I tell you what it's, what it's about, you'll recognize it a bit more. But, you know, some, some are calling it the simple gospel. You know, the gospel's getting too complicated and includes, you know, big concepts like justice and transformation and reconciliation. And the simple gospel is, you're a sinner, you need a savior, Jesus is it. Pray the sinner's prayer, go to heaven. Now, it makes one truth, namely that his unique work of atonement for you uh, is done by Jesus uniquely. It takes that one truth, which is gloriously true, and makes it the only truth and therefore becomes an error. It has no power in and of itself in the gospel it preaches to change lives. Because it's simply become a gospel of sin management. You're a sinner, you need a savior, believe in Jesus, you'll be okay. And it speaks nothing to the transformation and the making new of the world. Can you see that one truth at the expense of the others becomes an error? 
And then incredibly maintains that it is possible to somehow believe in Jesus as Savior, the atoning sacrifice, but not surrender to Him as God. Nothing could be further from the two. So let's turn to Hebrews chapter 1, our reading for today. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things and through whom He made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory And the exact representation of his being. Vaughan pointed to that same truth in taking us to Colossians 1 verse 15. The son sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he, meaning the son, had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. We're talking about Jesus, his unique identity. We're talking about meet your maker. When we look at the unique identity of Jesus, the first thing we see is that a passage like Hebrews is built on the clear teaching of Jesus and the call that he centered upon himself as God. We saw how last week, for example, he answers Thomas at the Last Supper, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Can I just say this? Jesus is the most inclusively loving person you could ever meet. He would never make an exclusive statement like that if it were not true. The only reason Jesus makes exclusive statements is because it would be unloving not to make them because he'd be lying. So when we're dealing with the uniqueness of Jesus and that which is focused on himself, and our reading today confirms this, in the past God spoke, through our ancestors of the prophets many times in various ways. In these last days, God has spoken to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. Later in it says, see to it that you do not refuse Him who still speaks. So Jesus did not point away from Himself in calling us to know and follow God. And this is a big contrast to other religious teachers, both inside and outside of Scripture. Nobody pointed to themselves in the way that Jesus did. And, and he insisted that there are no other valid ways to God other than himself. Not just, you know, other teachers have said, I will tell you a valid way. I will tell you the way to God. But nobody has said, I am the way. And so when Jesus calls us to follow him, He does so on the basis of his exclusive identity. When Jesus calls us to believe him, he does so on the basis of his exclusive claim to truth. When Jesus calls us to trust him enough to do the impossible, he does so on the basis that he is literally life itself. 
And so Jesus is a man whose identity is God. He never stopped being God. To pretend or even, you know, when we say that he emptied himself, which was a choice he made, which was something that was sustained throughout his life. I mean, look at his temptation on those last week's readings. Uh, by the way, those who are not here, if you click on to the PBC website, there are daily reading notes that will take you for five days in the week, and they've got exercises that you can do, and you can unpack the theology behind this series at a much deeper level, and it, it gives you some tools to personalize, actualize it. Um, and I was just chatting to Jono beforehand, um, and he was going, how he, the one session, because clearly it's badly written, he had to read it four or five times, which is the bit about the fact that Jesus chose to empty himself of his divine attributes and limit himself. Jesus did not lose those attributes. He chose not to pick them up. He had all the equality with God, but he deliberately lived as one of us. So imagine, you have not, some of us fasted this week, we didn't get close to 40 days. You have not eaten for 40 days, and there's a stone, and it can become bread in a moment, if you just unlock your identity and tell that stone to do what you want to do. He made the stone in the first place. He can turn it into whatever he likes in his divine nature. He chooses, he chooses, but never lose sight of the fact that his identity is one who is fully God. True God of true God, says the confessions. And our reading confirms this. He is the Son of God and God the Son. God spoke by his Son. He is the heir of all things. The Son is the radiance of God's glory. In English, we get that almost like play on words. The Son is the radiance. The Son, Jesus, is the radiance of the very glory of God. The exact representation of His being. Colossians 1.15. If you want to know what an invisible God looks like, look at a visible Jesus. And Jesus is the agent of all creation, through whom He also made the universe. Jesus is not just the heir of the Father, but He is the one through whom everything was made. Without Him, says John chapter 1 and verse 3, Nothing was made that has, has been made. That is preceded by this. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So Jesus in debate says, for example, before Abraham was, who lived about 1,700 years before him, I am. I am. He was with God in the beginning, for Jesus is Now, we might go, great, some good theology. Gary, there you go, some really great theology. And we can all just say amen and now move on to communion. No, no, no. This is the one who is demanding the remaking of our lives to be fit for his purpose. God is demanding the remaking of our lives. Jesus is not just an inspiring TED talk that you get to selectively apply or to click on to the next link. He is your creator and maker, calling you to find your original purpose. You see, Jesus is not just inviting your faith. 
or your obedience. He is commanding it. He has the right to. He is God. You miss this reality and you overhumanize Jesus. You take his words way too lightly at your own peril. His call to die to yourself, take up your cross, follow him, become like him, do what he did, is not a sales pitch to get you to sign up. He doesn't need a recruitment drive. Just because Jesus does not, like a dictator, force us to obey, does not mean that we get to set this aside. Jesus is giving us a command to stop wrecking the world through our sin and become part of its salvation and redemption. And we mustn't miss this fact. Just because he does not, as a dictator would, force us into this, does not mean he's any less entitled to it. We become so used to bullies, we become so used to being forced, whether by law or by threat of violence or whatever it is, that we somehow think it must be a weak ruler who comes and calls us simply with the power of his own nature and call. I promise you that's a big mistake to make with Jesus. Hebrews chapter 2, next, beginning of the next chapter. We must pay the most, the most careful attention. Notice this, like it's, a, it's got a definite article. It's the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard. So that we don't drift. That we don't drift away. That we don't lose sight of the significance and the weight of what this message actually is. And then a little bit later in verse 3, it says, How shall we escape if we ignore such an incredible salvation? The fact that it is God who became our atoning sacrifice in His humanity is an incredible salvation we dare not ignore. Now, let's be very clear. Normally, I use, uh, I avoid you language. I try and talk in my preaching about us and our and we, and I try and give you testimonies. But turn to the person next to you and say, he's talking to you. Actually, actually say, no, and he's talking to me. You see, I, I dare not generalize. I dare not be vague about this because Jesus, if he were here, would stand here and look you in the eye. Jesus demands that you repurpose your life for his kingdom. He commands it. And if you don't, you don't believe him. You don't trust him. He's not your way. And he's certainly not your life. And he's got no interest in propping up our suburban lives to keep us happy and prosperous until we're 65. And then we can play for a little while and then shuffle off this mortal coil. He demands that we repurpose our lives to fit in with his kingdom. And that was his message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is breaking in. I said he demands that you repurpose your life. Actually, he demands that you surrender. So that he can repurpose your life. 
Think about the disciple Thomas. I mean, he saw all that Jesus did. He experienced. He was there. Jesus' life, his ministry, but then his death. That death so brutal, so final, shattered his will to believe. And he said, unless I see him again, unless I put my fingers in his hands and my hand in his side, I will not believe. At that stage, he didn't know about atoning sacrifice. He had lost faith in Jesus' identity. He was starting to believe that Jesus was God. Now God was dead. And he had lost faith in the promises of what Jesus had said about himself. And actually, his logic is spot on. If what Jesus said about himself does not hold water, then don't hold on to your faith. But what a relief for Thomas to see Jesus resurrected in power in that room. And Jesus stands and says, okay, yes, Tom, yes, my hands. Put your finger in that hole. Yes, my side. Put your hand. And Thomas falls at his feet. What does he say? My Lord and my God. His faith in the identity of Jesus is restored. You'll never have the capacity to trust Jesus if you don't understand the depths of his identity. What disqualifies Jesus to do is to uniquely make God known as our Father. It says, he's the radiance of God's glory. In other words, when you look at him, you see something shining of the Father himself. He's the exact representation of his being. And, and a little bit later, you see this relationship in the text between father and, and son. Today I've become your father. You are my son. I will be his father. He will be my son. Jesus uniquely makes the father known. Bernard Ram, an American professor, said this about Jesus' teachings as he makes the father known. They are read more, quoted more, loved more, believed more, and translated more than any other words because they are the greatest words ever spoken. No other man's words have the appeal of Jesus' words because no other man can answer the fundamental human questions as Jesus did. They are the kind of words and the kind of answers we would expect God to give. He makes the Father know. You see, there's nothing in the Father that's not like the Son. And Jesus redefines fatherhood, and by, that, by the way, our view of God as a result. We thought we knew what God was like, but that was just our invention. And by the way, when I'm meeting people, and we could have this conversation straight after, if you fall into this category, people tell me, I don't believe. I tell me, I don't believe in God. I say, tell me about the God you don't believe in. I almost certainly don't believe in him either. I'm not just being clever. I promise you what you've invented as God is certainly not worth serving. Until you have met God through the person of Jesus Christ, you don't know him. And you're rejecting someone on the basis 
of a completely flawed set of facts. When I look at Jesus, I see the Father's heart. Jesus is fully and completely like God. And God is fully and completely like Jesus. What's God like? Well, look at the grace of Jesus, his goodness, his compassion, his love, his faithfulness, his constancy, his mercy, his justice, and his willingness to uphold the weak, and so much more. God is like Jesus, yet without any of the human limitations that Jesus willingly embraced. And you know what the great thing is? Because he is the son he teaches us what it is to trust God like an Abba. So Jesus could say in John 17, 25, Father, I know you. <laughs> and what a staggering statement. I know you. And he enjoys this complete communion, perfect connection, undying love, intimate affection. And the Father's hidden nothing of himself from the Son. As it were, Jesus takes us by the hand and says, let me show you, introduce you to the one I know. John three, uh, 17, verse 3, just earlier. Now, this is eternal life, verse 4. That they may know you and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And you know, when that begins to happen, in that chapter, John 17 explains that the same love, actually the same glory the Father put on Jesus, he begins to put on us. Is the radiance of God's glory. God's glory begins to rest on Jesus. That rested on Jesus begins to rest on us. It literally repurposes us. It literally changes us. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 17 and 18. From one degree of glory to the next. And then it says that the love that you have for me, Jesus is praying. Father, that the love that you have for me, the love, pure, perfect, radiant, Sufficient love that you have for me may be in them. Jesus makes the Father known. Amen, Gary. We want more than theology. We want that experience. Our passage also points, we're not going to stay there this morning because we're actually going to demonstrate it. We're going to demonstrate it at the communion table. But the passage also points, we look at, remember those three things, his unique identity where we focused this morning, then what he uniquely accomplished as a human, namely the atonement, or as our passage calls it, the purification for sins. After he had provided purification for sins, he was glorified and sat down at the, at, uh, at the right hand of the majesty on high. See, this one passage is holding those same two realities as equally true. And if you keep reading the book of Hebrews, by the time in chapter 2, you realize that point number 3, that this is meant to be transferable, is right there in the text as well. You've got to understand this. Neither the identity nor the work Jesus did in atonement can ever be repeated, need ever be repeated, because there is one already. So all of heaven sings, you are worthy. You are worthy. You're worthy to open the scroll. You know, the scroll had seven seals on, which is a sign that it was in the symbolism of the day, a Roman will. 
A Roman will had five witnesses, and then there were testators who all had to put their stamp on it. So there were seven seals. You could never unlock an inheritance without breaking seven seals. There was a seven-sealed scroll in heaven, and no one could open it until the Lamb of God came. And he broke open the seal on the scrolls. And your inheritance and mine, which is the repurposing of our lives for the kingdom of God, has been opened for you and for me. And I need to ask you today, do you want your inheritance? Do you want what Jesus obtained for you? Not a faith which merely says, I'll deal with your bad feelings about yourself. Your guilt neurosis. Of course he'll fix that. I'll take your life and I'll repurpose it. And I'll refurbish it. And I'll make it look like mine. Will you trust me? Will you trust me? You see, in his humanity, through his purification for sins, Jesus alone makes atonement for sin. Nobody else. Jesus said, when we come to this table, remember, for me, everything else fades. Everything else fades. Jesus alone restores our relationship to God. That which divided us is broken. That which bridges us is Jesus. Jesus alone will be the measure and the standard by which we are judged. Not in his divinity, by the way. The Bible is very clear. <laughs> You'll be judged by another man. You'll be judged by a human. His life will be the measure of your life. Jesus alone has defeated Satan, removed his power, which means not that the devil has been rendered non-existent, Hebrews 2.14, but that the authority and the rights of the enemy have been broken. And everything he does, he does as a liar and an imposter. If you will accept the truth, you will come under a new authority. You see, Scripture declares, as Peter preaches, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we can be saved. Jesus does invite you. He will never force you. But there's huge consequences to turn away. From his clear command. To repurpose your life. Actually. <laughs> to surrender. So that he can repurpose your life. For his kingdom.